If you remember, three weeks ago, we started a series called Christ-Centered Relationships, and my wife and I have been teaching that for the last few weeks. Um, in fact, someone asked me today, your wife's going to be up there with you, right? I go, no, it's just me, and just the look of disappointment, you know? <laughs> Um, it just, it said it all. Uh, but if you remember, uh, we, we, three weeks ago, we talked about how there's something much bigger than marriage. And we talked out of first Corinthians chapter seven, and we explained that remember marriage is not eternal. Our marriage is going to last a few years and then it's done. Okay. And then, uh, and then we come into heaven where this eternal relationship with God and how we're all family at that point. And we also talked about how there's something bigger than marriage and that's our mission here on earth. You know, our mission is not just to have a nice, happy family and create a home on this earth. That's not the mission. The mission is to reflect Jesus Christ, to show Jesus Christ to this world. And somehow during our lifetimes to have this purpose of, I want to show the world, not just talk about how great my God is. I want to show it by the way that I love other people. I want to put Christ on display. And last week, if you remember... My wife did an outstanding job of uh, putting uh, meat on those bones, of fleshing that out and explaining, okay, how do we as women uh, show Christ or display Christ by the way that we treat our husbands? Are we painting a correct picture of Jesus Christ by the way we treat our husbands? In fact, uh, just so there's no questions, um, I am in 100% agreement with everything my wife taught last week. I thought she did an amazing job. In fact, I told her, I don't know that I've ever heard someone lay out um, as well the, the, the way that women are to biblically live out that role as wives and to reflect Jesus Christ in that way. Um, and she made some comments about how, you know, wives aren't to just sit there quietly and say nothing. I mean, the whole point of God creating that helper in that position is, as men, we need their wisdom. Um, and I would agree with that 100%. Uh, we're not made to do this by ourselves. I need her wisdom. As you heard her speak, you realize, wow, there's a completeness as uh, she's up here with me. Um, I need that weird intuition stuff you guys have. Um, it's just all, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just this joint thing where we work together and make it through this life together. And it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing it can be. And, you know, we got a lot of great comments back. Uh, one, one interesting comment, um, a couple have mentioned on this, and, and I, I want to touch on it. One person uh, said it so well in an email. She says, when I saw Francis so enamored with his wife up there, um, it was like a dagger to my heart because it's something I've wanted so badly. And, and we got different comments about pain and relationships. And I, I don't want to go on in this series without first acknowledging that there is tremendous, tremendous pain involved in relationships and in family. In fact, you are the weird, strange exception in this room if you haven't spent hours grieving over various family relationships and even weeping over different broken relationships and family. Um, you guys know I've been traveling most of the summer and uh, there was a conference I did a couple of weeks ago where it just everything came to a head. And I was speaking on trials with these, with these high school students. And um, 
And there were thousands of these kids and they, they would write on cards, you know, things that they were struggling with or that their friends were struggling with in relationships. And then, then afterwards, one of the counselors came up to me, you know, after I was speaking, a counselor came, he goes, oh, I'm so glad you spoke on trials. He goes, I kind of snuck a kid into this conference. He's not quite in high school yet, but we got him in. Um, because of the situation, and he so needed to hear this message. You see, he found his dad uh, after his dad committed suicide. He's the one that found the body about a year ago and had a real rough time. And then he goes, two weeks ago, right before this uh, camp, uh, he's at a family reunion, family get-together, and his mom um, got a knife and started stabbing his little brothers. And, uh, and they were able to pull her off of the little brothers and saved the two brothers' lives. But then as they separated her, she took the knife to her own throat and killed herself. And uh, he's, he's at camp this week, so I'm so glad you gave that message. And I'm so... and meanwhile, another counselor standing by listening to that and said, oh man, I've got a girl. And she watched her husband, or watched her dad kill mom. And uh, so then he goes to jail. She's dead. She's an orphan. You know, just... And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to story after story and reading these cards of these high school students. And I'm going, I I sometimes forget. I sometimes just forget what's going on out there and forget what's going on even in this room. And I know that even as I speak on this, there are uh, there's some of you that are just grieving over relationships. Some of you. uh, have experienced death in the family. And that's not something you just snap out of or get, get over. Um, and maybe the most painful thing we can experience on this earth as believers is when we have a child or a spouse or a parent who doesn't love God, who doesn't love Jesus. And you, you just think in your mind, I would do anything for him. I would do anything for her to get him or her to follow Jesus. And yet there's only so much you can do. And there's that helpless feeling of the thought of, I can't imagine being separated for eternity. And, and yet you're helpless because you, you, you can't make anyone fall in love with Jesus Christ. You can't just get your husband to fall in love with Jesus Christ. You can't, it, all these things we're telling you and we're talking about, well, if you do this, if you do this, you do this, there's still no guarantee. There's no guarantee that your, your, your spouse will love Jesus. There's no guarantee that your kids will. There's no guarantee that your parents will. There's no guarantee that your brother or your sister will. And it's the hardest thing about living on this earth. It really is. It's the one thing that keeps us from really longing for the return of Jesus Christ, right? Because while we selfishly go, yeah, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, there's the other half of us going, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. And it's absolutely devastating. And I, I don't want to just go, hey, you know, let's talk about husbands, wives, whatever, and not just at least stop and acknowledge and pray Because there are some of you in this room this morning that you're just absolutely wiped out. You're absolutely torn apart. You're losing it. You just feel like you're absolutely losing your mind because these people you love so much are not loving God. And I, I don't know if there's anything more painful on this earth. Um. 
Here's what I'd like us to do. Uh, I'd like us to pray for each other just silently. I'd like to pray you, you just to pray for the person on your right, the person on your left. Just silently come before God, and I'm just going to give you a minute so you make sure you know their names. And, uh, um, and, and, and not only that, but maybe just real quickly, just, just tell the person next to you your name, and then maybe just say one relationship that you'd like them to pray for. You, all you guys say is, my name is Francis, my wife, and I, you know, or my brother, and I, you know, that, that, that type of thing. And uh, so go ahead and make sure you know everyone's name and just... Just tell real quickly who you'd like them to pray for. Father, there are some uh, incredibly sad people in this room. There are marriages that are ready to end. There are kids that are ready to run away. Parents that are ready to run God, it's not a great picture to the world of, of what you can do. And, and God, it breaks our heart. It's not your intention for marriage or for family. And so, God, I just pray that you would bring your healing power into this room. Overwhelm us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Especially to the men this morning, God. Help us to become the men that you've called us to be an accurate picture of Jesus Christ. May people see the way that we treat our wives, the way we treat our kids, and may they see Jesus in us, in our actions. We pray for those of our family that we love so much who aren't in love with you. We just know how good it is to know you, and I I just pray for them, Lord, because we can't make them love you. We just ask that you continue to draw them to yourself. And I don't know how to pray that prayer with enough force behind it. Because for a lot of us, it's, we want that more than anything else on this earth. Speak to each one in this room today. The way you always do, in your unique way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this week, um, I'm, I'm addressing the men specifically. And we're talking about how men can display Jesus Christ in our marriages by the way that we treat our wives. How are we painting this picture of Jesus and, and maybe some practical ways to do that. But let me just um, let me start off by saying, okay, first of all, I don't think we're going to get to the parenting part of, uh, because... Uh, just, there's just too much just in being a husband, and maybe we'll hit parents next week. But I, I, I struggle with even teaching, uh, especially the parenting part. I never really want to talk on parenting because then once you do that, everyone checks out your kids and makes sure, you know, that they're perfect and, and you, you screw them up. Um, and, uh, but, but let me just say, as far as the husband part, even that, I struggle with... Uh, teaching this because again i i don't want it to sound like i'm putting myself up as the example of the perfect husband um that's not why my wife and i were up here these last couple of weeks um 
In fact, it's, at, at times you, you feel inadequate to teach certain things. And yesterday I was at the funeral for uh, Glenn Jackson, who was the pastor in town that died last week. And uh, amazing, uh, amazing family, man. When you talk about husband and father, Glenn Jackson, you know, who's, who's older than I, but definitely just far more mature in that area. His wife got up to share and she makes this statement of her husband of, I don't know, like 30-something years. She gets up and says, you know, in all those years of marriage, never once did I hear an unkind word come out of his mouth toward me. And my first response was, you know, like, <laughs> come on. You know, like, honestly, you, you know, it, and, and yet knowing Glenn... It's true. Man, I would watch this guy interact with his wife. And guys, you ever meet one of those guys where you just go, man, would you just get mad? Or would you do something? Would you, you know, but it just, this is, it just seemed like it wasn't even in him to say something malicious, you know, toward his wife or toward his kids and his daughters get up, same type of thing of just this dad. And, and, and honestly, there's just a part of me that's a little envious, a part of me like, God, why didn't you bless me with that type of patience or whatever else? Um, because it really was. I, I would watch the way he interacted with his wife and everything else. And there really was a picture of, wow, you, you just go, man, I, I can't believe how much he does for her, loves her, and just the kindness, the warmth, the affection, everything. You go, okay, that's a picture of Jesus Christ. That's the way Jesus Christ loves me. Um, but for many of us men, we, we, we look at ourselves and go, gosh, I'm so far from that. Because uh, I, I, I look at myself and my, one of my struggles is patience. One of my biggest struggles is patience and, and getting irritated, you know, and bugged by people or whatever else. And, and I've shared this before, but I remember years ago, my wife just asked me, she goes, she goes, honey, what, can you just tell me what you love the most about me? And I, I just remember it was like an immediate response. I looked at her and I said, of every person on this planet, you bug me the least. <laughs> Isn't that romantic? But she actually took it as this great compliment because it really was. I mean, that, that's just because no, she knows me and knows my frustrations, my weaknesses and everything else. And I could honestly say, and I can still say, gosh, of everyone on the earth, she bugs me the least. It's just, it's just a, it's a great romantic relationship. Um, Ephesians 5, verse 25. Um, so all that to say, we're, we're all working together. And uh, don't, uh, don't look at me as the perfect example. And yet at the same time, let's not make these excuses of, oh, I'm not wired this way or that way. We, we strive after this and by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, we seek to be Christ and a picture of Christ. Ephesians 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I've taught this passage many times, and I have made a huge error in teaching this passage. Um, And the error is that I, early on in my ministry, I would leave out verse 32, where it says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. You see, it's, it's easy when you talk about relationships. Everyone goes to Ephesians 5 during, you know, wedding ceremonies. We'll go to Ephesians 5, we'll, we'll, family conferences, Ephesians 5. But what we'll do is we'll, we'll read the whole passage. Husbands, love your wives. Emphasize this, emphasize this. Like, oh, do you understand? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is what profound mystery I'm talking about, Christ in the church. However, each one of you must, you know, and we'll, we'll kind of breeze through that part. And yet the truth is, is if you miss verse 32, you miss the crux of the whole passage. You miss the point of this whole passage about this profound mystery. But he explains, okay, he quotes from Genesis, the whole idea of a man leaving his father and mother and cleaving to his wife, becoming one flesh. And then he says, that's a profound mystery. And we stop there and go, yeah, that is a mystery that God sees us, you know, as two people as one. He goes, no, that's not the mystery, though. It's a profound mystery. His point is something greater. He goes, and I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's this picture. He goes, the mystery is, is here you have in the Old Testament this idea of a man and a woman coming together and becoming one flesh. There's no, there's no mystery if that's all it is. The mystery is that this coming together of a husband and wife and becoming one flesh was pointing forward to something greater and was a picture of how Christ and us as his church, his bride, that somehow we become one. It was pointing to something greater. Let me, let me explain this concept to you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hopefully I can give you some, some biblical examples to explain this idea of this profound mystery. Because we've we, we got to get this. We've got to understand this. In Hebrews chapter 9. Okay, let, let's, let's back up a little. Go ahead and turn there. But you know how in the Old Testament... Those of you who have read through the Old Testament, you'll get to this one part where they're building the temple and it bores you to death because you read about all these measurements. This must be eight cubits high by four cubits wide by, you know, on and on and on. And it's like chapters and chapters. She's like, come on. You know, what is this all about? This temple and they wanted these perfect specifications and everything else. Well, read in, in Hebrews chapter 9. Verse, uh, verse 23, I want to explain something. Hebrews 9, verse 23, it's talking about this temple. And it says this, It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. 
For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Okay, he's talking about this temple, but he, he, in talking about the temple, he explains that it's a copy of something that is in heaven. Why was God so specific about all these dimensions? He says, because it's a picture of something far greater. This temple that I want you to build on this earth, this idea of the Holy of Holies, the sanctuary that's here, it's all a picture, a copy of something much greater in heaven that I want you to have a model of that on the earth. You understand that? So that whole temple building and everything else, it was this copy of something that's in heaven that's greater than what we could see on earth. But he wanted this replica to look really good and real precise. And so, you know, this has to be gold. This has to be ivory. This ark has to have these specifications, all this stuff, because it's a picture of something greater. Now, you remember, remember how they had all those sacrifices in the Old Testament, you know how they would, they would have all these specifics of, okay, I want you to take a bull. I want you to, you know, to kill him on this day. I want the blood to go here. Then I want you to take a ram and I want you to do this with the ram. Then I want you to, you know, on and on and on these sacrifices. Well, if you, you continue reading in Hebrews 10, in Hebrews 10 verse 4, as it's talking about these sacrifices, it explains in verse 4 of Hebrews 10, it says, because it is impossible It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. He explains, you know how in the Old Testament I had you bring these bulls and I had you bring these goats and somehow it was this picture of of someone, something paying the penalty for your sin. There's this blood sacrifice because of what you did. He says, those animals did not pay for your sin. He goes, it's impossible to take a bull and have the bull pay for your sin. But you understand it was a picture It was a picture of something that was to come. It's a picture of something greater. It was this mystery that later on, and it was prophesied in the Old Testament too, that there was going to come this perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so the point of those, those bulls and the goats and the sacrifices, it was all pointing to this future sacrifice, the real thing that was actually going to take away their sin. That was all a picture of something to come. My point is, is just like you have this temple that's a little replica. The point is, it's a copy of something greater that's in heaven. You have these sacrifices of all these animals that were all pointing to a picture of something greater, which was going to be Christ on the cross. He explains that your marriage and this union of a man and a woman coming together and becoming one flesh was just a picture of something far greater of the thought that God and I would become one. Just like a husband and wife come together and become one flesh, that somehow there's a reality that me as this rotten little flesh and blood human being could become one with my creator. That's an amazing thought. That's a profound mystery that Christ and his church would have this marriage and somehow become like one flesh in the same way that a husband and wife does. So understand, this is not about your marriage. This is not about, oh, the greatest thing is to have this marriage. No, no, no. Your marriage is pointing to something greater. Just like the temple was pointing to something greater. Just like the sacrifices were pointing to something greater. That's why, you know, in the Old Testament, when the the priests would bring these crummy sacrifices, 
You remember God says, no, I want, I want an unblemished, like get the best, the very best. I don't want any spot. I don't want any deformity on this, on this male lamb one year. You know, I want you to bring it to the temple. I want, I want this thing sacrificed, but it's got to be perfect. It's got to be beautiful. Why? Because this was a picture of Jesus Christ. Who is going to be the spotless one, the perfect one that was going to come and truly take our sin away. And so when these priests would bring these three-legged, diseased sheep on the altar, God was disgusted with that because that's painting a very ugly picture of Jesus Christ. And in the same way, if our marriages are supposed to paint a picture of Christ in the church, that's why we can't afford to have crummy marriages as believers. Because now it's painting a picture, a distorted picture of Christ's relationship with the church. See, that's why this stuff is important. It's not, this isn't just, hey, I want you to have a happy family for the sake of having a happy family. We're we're involved in something much bigger here than creating a home here on the earth. I am supposed to show the world a picture of Jesus Christ by the way that I love my wife. And that's why the Bible says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as, in the exact same way, love your wives in the exact same way as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. People, we know how Jesus loved the church, right? And the way he gave himself up for her And he says, okay, husbands, now you do that with your wives. You be Christ to her. You know, it's funny because whenever I, we we talk about husbands and wives, we do marriage seminars or whatever else, the complaints come from the women. And here's what they say. They go, you know what? That whole wives be submissive to your husbands. You know, we got the harder role. Yeah, all I have to do is be Jesus. That's a no-brainer. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. It's interesting that after Paul establishes and explains, look, husbands, you're to lead your wives. Immediately after that, he explains that, okay, but let me explain leadership. Jesus modeled it for you. Did it the way Jesus did it. Jesus gave, 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 gave. Look at his life 24-7. Giver, 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 servant, servant, servant. Son of God who comes down and goes, hey, I didn't come down here to be served. I came here to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus got on his knees and he's washing the feet of those he created. And yet while he was serving, there was no question of who was in authority. And the Bible says, husbands, that's the way I want you to be. That's the picture I want you to show to the church, to the world, because it's an accurate picture of Christ to the church. I want you to serve. I want you to love. I want you to give yourself to her because that's what I did for the church. This whole idea of giving himself up, how he gave himself up for us. It it goes right along the lines of what my wife talked about last week. I remember the phrase she used, die to self. 
She goes, in marriage, you just die to self. And it's not just about marriage. It's about being a Christian, like she said. I mean, when you became a believer in baptism, you're dying to yourself. You're going, you know what? It's not about me anymore. Now it's about Jesus. In the same way, she says, when I got married, it wasn't about me, Lisa Lundgren, anymore. It's about me dying to myself. And now I'm coming under this authority. And in the same way, Jesus says, you know what? In me coming down on this earth... I didn't just, you know, make the, you know, boss the church around. I served the church and I gave myself up for the church. He died for the church. Dying to self. And the point is, uh, why did he give himself up for her? It says in verse 26, it says to make her holy. Jesus died to make us holy. He gave himself up to make us holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus devoted his time on earth to making us pure. And that's a picture for us as men is that our task on earth is the purification of our wives. And that's why it's so awful for those who are in dating relationships where the man pressures the woman and actually does the exact opposite of purifying her and bringing before God this beautiful, pure woman. And in fact, he does the opposite and defiles her. And, and, and we are supposed to be giving our lives to the purity of these women. And that's the picture of Jesus. He gave everything. And that, 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 that means if, if I am to give myself to my wife's holiness, that means I encourage her towards the things of God. And at times I even confront her toward the things of God. Because that's my task on earth. It's to help purify her, to help lead her in the, in the ways of God. And I know that as I talk about this, um, I, I hear this every time too. Some of you will say, well, in our home, it's different. In our home, you know, what works for us is for her to be the leader because she's been a believer longer and she's, she's just a better Christian. She studies the Bible more. And so she's like the spiritual leader and it works for us. There's harmony in our family. It works that way. And, and let me just say to that, this is not about making things work, okay? It's not just about making things work. It's about painting a picture of Christ to the church. See, in the Old Testament, if you want to just make things work, you could have put the ark in a shed and say, hey, don't go by that shed. You know, the ark's in there. That would have been fine, right? Just use an old tool shed and put that in there. I mean, God can inhabit anything. No, 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 but they didn't do that. They said, no, no, we, no we're, we're making a replica of something in heaven, so we gotta, we got to nail this thing down perfectly. And the same way, we can say, well, well, what if our family, we can just have her be the leader or just have no leader, and it, it works for... No, 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 you don't understand. We're trying to paint a picture to the world of something far greater, the profound mystery. The profound mystery is you've got the Son of God, this amazing creator of the world who comes down and serves his creation he's the leader but nonetheless he's the servant and it's a beautiful beautiful picture it's an amazing picture it's 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 a stunning picture of how could the son of god go through that the cross for me 
And so now he's saying, now marriage, the point of marriage is to display this to the world. So the only way it works is if you know, look, I am the authority in my home, that that I, I am the head of my house. But you know what? As the head of the house, I make my decisions for my wife. I make my decisions to, to, to bring her to purity. I, I, I make my decision to serve her and to love her. Why? Because I want to paint a picture of Christ to the world. It's something bigger. It's not just about getting along or working together. I mean, we're talking about our life's purpose. We're talking about the whole reason why we exist, right? Is to put Jesus Christ on display to the world. And we do that, husbands, by the way we love our wives. And hopefully people say, gosh, he is so enamored with her. He is so in love with her. And they think to themselves, does God love me like that? Does God love me the way he loves his wife? That's the way people should be talking about us. That's the picture we paint. And, and let me just say this. Um, because sometimes we have misconceptions of people. And, um, and sometimes when I teach these things, people can assume, oh, that's, that's the stuff that comes naturally to him. Um, and my wife kind of threw out one of our secrets last week when, uh, when she told you I wasn't perfect. And... Um, <laughs> But it's this, I got to say, this, this whole responsibility and challenge of leading her toward holiness and really being Christ and being the one that purifies her and being that example, um, that is something I dislike. I, I don't like the responsibility and challenge of being the leader at home, and that may surprise you. I don't like the burden or responsibility of saying I'm supposed to lead her toward holiness and lead my kids toward holiness. Uh, honestly, after work or after traveling or whatever and coming home, my mind does not naturally gravitate toward, oh, I get to go home and serve my family. You know, I mean, it's a time where I just think I, I got expectations, I have wants, I have desires. Um, I deserve this. I deserve that. I'm not thinking, oh, I can't wait to get home and serve them and love them and lead them and make them holy and blameless by my leadership. Um, like everyone else, or like most other guys, I struggle with the stress thing and the, and the weight of other responsibilities and come home. And it's, sometimes I just don't even want to deal with it. I just want everyone to laugh and you know, let's just have a good time and let's just not fight about anything. I, I don't want to have to discipline anyone. I don't want to have to lead anyone. I just want to relax when I get back. And not only that, but then I got this other weird side of me where I have so much baggage. And some of you might relate to this just from growing up. Um, I grew up in a home where we didn't talk. That's just a waste of time. You know, this conversation, you know, and, uh, it was just, you know, you just do your thing and whatever else. And, and we never, never had serious conversation in the home. And so this is a weird thing, but it is very strange for me to have conversations with family. I can talk to you. You come in my room, you know, we can talk, everything, share your life with me, I'll share my heart with you. But there's this weird block with family stuff. And I say this because I'm, I'm willing to bet there's some others of you in the room that are like this. Where it comes to family, suddenly it's weird to talk about God. It's weird for me. Listen, ah, this is so weird to even say. It's weird for me to pray with my wife. Feels 
completely awkward to me. Very strange to me. It's something I forced myself to do because I know it's right. But it's just something where I grew up and we don't talk about anything. And so I can pray with you. You come to my offices, cry, let's pray. You know, but family is just like this weird thing. And I remember, you know, when I first married, you know, got, got to know Lisa and I meet her family. It was so weird because, you know, I remember first time I introduced her to my aunt. She, my aunt even told her, hey, you know, when you come to my house, just know that we don't really talk to each other. We just sometimes just look at each other and eat and go home, you know, and and I mean, that's just the way our family is. So don't feel weird about it. And then I go to her family and everyone's like, oh, I'm like, oh, you know, Uh, it was just like this bizarre. Wow. You guys talk, you guys hug. And then they're offended because I didn't hug someone on the way out. I'm like, oh man, you know, I gotta make sure I hug everyone. You know, it's just this weird, weird relationship thing. And so honestly, I look at these passages and I go, okay, I'm responsible. I'm the one. And so I can't get angry at my wife or disappointed in her, you know, if she's not living a certain way. Because I'm the one that's supposed to lead her that way. I can't frustrate with my kid. I'm supposed to lead him that way. And, and that responsibility, it's, it's, it's not something that I just crave and so grateful for. I mean, it's something where I go, you know what? It's not optional. It's something I must do. Because I so badly want to reflect Jesus Christ. So this goes against my nature. It's not the norm for me. It's not what comes naturally in the flesh. And yet by the Spirit of God, I look at this and I see the weight of, you know what, I'm not on this earth to please Francis. I died of myself. I'm on this earth to reflect Jesus Christ. And as I do that, as I do these things, man, it's amazing how the marriage comes together. It's amazing how the family comes together. Like my wife was talking about last week, how she says, okay, wives, if if we really live this way, she goes, you'd be hard-pressed to find a husband who does not appreciate that and does not become more endeared to you if you live out these principles about being this quiet, gentle spirit, this beautiful person of the heart and, and you know, come alongside believing, supporting, and everything else. And the same way I would say I have counseled a lot of couples and I have yet to meet a woman who is disappointed in a servant leader. I've met many women who are weeping because their husbands are leaders but they're not servants. And they don't serve them. And I've met many women who were in tears because their husbands were servants, but they weren't leaders. They were weak. And they wanted that strength. But never have I met a woman who was disappointed. Well, you know what? He's, he's such a great leader, but he also serves me too much. And it's driving me crazy. You know, it, it just, it doesn't happen. It's this picture of Jesus, of servant leadership that, that, again, like, like my wife said so well, it's like this, uh, I don't even remember the word she used. It's like this benefit. It's like this side benefit. It's like this fringe benefit of trying to become Christ is naturally your husband will have more of an affection towards you. And in the same way, as we seek to be like Christ, you'd be hard-pressed to find a woman who doesn't appreciate and love a leader who's also a servant but here's the part that, uh, that I found so fascinating of this passage. And again, don't miss this. In verse 28, he says, In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, 
No one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and he cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Okay, and I've taught this before. I, I teach this, at, I'll teach it at weddings or whatever. Um, but but it's, it's this idea of, I'm supposed to love my wife, the Bible says, as my own body. Like when we become one flesh, it's we're one now. And so her being hungry is the same as me being hungry. Her being thirsty is the same as me. She's an extension of me. I need to treat her as my own body. That part I've always taught. That part's fine. But here's the amazing thing about what this passage is saying. We treat our wives just like we would treat a member of our own bodies. And you got to get this. And it's almost unbelievable. We do that because Christ loves us like he loves his own body. You got to catch this. This is, this is so fascinating. The Bible says here, that we love our wives, you know, because they're a part of our body. It'd be like loving your own hand. Of course, or you're loving your own stomach. You know, it's like, wow, it's hungry. I got he goes, we do that because, he explains, you understand that you, he says, we are members of Christ's body. So, so that, that means the God of the universe. Okay, and dwell on this, get this, because I don't know if we really believe this. The God of the universe. Okay, picture God on his throne. He's looking down right now at me on this earth, flesh and blood, screwed up Francis, standing on this stage. And he loves me as though I were an extension of his body. Just like I would care for my own finger, my own hand, my own liver. He looks down and says, that's the way I think of Francis Chan. The God of the universe sees me as an extension of him. That, that I'm his bride, not only his bride, but I'm like part of his body. And he's going to care for me like, a own, like his own body. That is fascinating. And I don't know if you really, I know you believe. A lot of you say, I know God loves you. Do you really believe he loves you that much? Like you're a part of him? And he can't help but love you? Fascinating picture. And that's why we love our wives that way. He says, because you start loving your wives like she's an extension of you, and it's no different than you loving yourself. Now you're painting a correct picture of the way Christ loves his church. Is that the most beautiful thing? Most fascinating thing. Let me just say this now. Having said all this, I know some people might leave a little disappointed and going, ah, oh, you know, I thought he was going to focus more on, you know, do this, do the laundry, do it, you know, whatever. And, uh, and the marriage thing. But, but here's my concern and the reason why I don't go there. Because I think this is something so much bigger. And I fear that some of you are in this room or even started coming to this church because you wanted... A happy family. You wanted a happy marriage. You wanted happy kids. You wanted a good family relationship. 
And you realize, you know what, I think God could grant me that. So let me go to the church and ask him for that. And, and absolutely, of course, the God of the universe can grant you that. But my concern is this. If that's your motivation for following God, then really God has become a means to an end for you. Your end is, I want this happy, healthy, secure family, you know, retirement, everything else. That's what I want, and I think God can give me that. Well, then suddenly God just becomes someone you use and this means to an end rather than believing that God is the end himself. And, and, and if that's really your desire, yeah, you know, it sounds good that, wow, I really treasure family that much, but that's become an idol, and you're no different than the person who says, well, I want to be rich, and I heard if I go, you know, and follow God, God will make me rich. And I heard that, that you know, if you follow Jesus, you'll never be sick again. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus because I heard this preacher say that I could be rich, and I'll never be, you know, sick again, or no one in my family will get sick, everything's going, my... you're no different than them. And this whole health, wealth, prosperity, you just switched it to family versus, you know, rather than money and everything else. See, what God wants of us on this earth is for us not to go, okay, if I can have God, then I'll get rich. He wants us to say, because I have God, I am rich. And he wants us to say, well, maybe if I have God, he'll give me a good marriage. No, he wants you to say, wow, because I have God, I'm in a good marriage. I'm the bride of Christ. He doesn't want you to say, okay, maybe with God, then then he'll give me a good family. No, he wants you to really, really believe. No, because I have God, I am a part of an amazing, amazing family. I'm a child. I'm a son of God. I'm an extension of him. I'm his bride. And for us to go, man, what more could I ask for? And now may I use my family rather than using God. May I use my family to put God on display and we flip this whole thing around. That's God's desire. You guys, I, I hope you feel rich. Those of you who have an inheritance that won't spoil or fade, I hope you feel amazingly loved in an amazing relationship, in an incredible marriage. With us being the bride of Christ. And I hope you found everything in Christ There's so many hurts in this room, and I'm telling you, Jesus really is enough. And when my parents died and I was in junior high, I just, God really became my dad. I mean, really became my dad. And how many things he's replaced. And I'm not saying I never struggle with loneliness here or there, but there's this truth where you can have this amazing relationship with the Creator. To have the God of the universe love you as much as he loves himself or his own body. That is fascinating. And that's what this church is about. That's what we want to be about. Is putting that on display and saying, is this an amazing God we have? And that's what baptism is. Baptism is, a, is, is like a marriage ceremony. Greater than your marriage ceremony. Because it's a time when you publicly say, you know, I'm dying to myself. And when I rise again, I have this union with Jesus Christ. And I'm a part of this profound mystery, as Paul puts it, of Christ and the church. And now I want to love my wife or love my husband and put that on display for the rest of the world. And if you'd like to enter in that relationship, then we invite you to come forward during this worship time.